Hi, this is Duncan, producer of Deep Breath In. In our last podcast, Lump in the Throat, we said that we'd bring you the full interview with Dion Dershmills and Bonnie Kaplan. In the interview, they talk about liquid formulations, grinding up pills at home, as well as some techniques that have been useful in helping people get over the physical difficulty they have in swallowing. Here's Jenny's interview with Dion and Bonnie. My name is Dion Dersch-Mills, and I am what's called the clinical practice leader for pharmacy um, for pediatrics and neonatology with Alberta Health Services. And I'm based out of the Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary. Great. And we're also joined by Dr. Bonnie Kaplan. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself as well? My name is Bonnie Kaplan. I'm a semi-retired research psychologist, professor emerita from the Faculty of Medicine, Cummings School of Medicine at University of Calgary in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I worked for many, many years at Alberta Children's Hospital Research Institute and became interested in pill swallowing when I was studying nutrients, which are often in large capsules. And I had no idea that people had difficulty swallowing pills. And so that's why I decided to study it. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about what you found. Um, I'm speaking with both of you after a recent article you wrote for the education section on helping children to swallow pills and tablets and other um, oral medicines. And part of the idea for this paper was based on my personal experience, trying to give my son a horrible tasting medicine, but also several patients who I saw around the same time who were struggling to give their child um, paracetamol. So she came to me asking, what can I do to bring my daughter's fever down? And so that prompted us to um, ask both of you to write about the topic. Um, so I wonder, so we'll start with you, um, Dion. can you talk a little bit, when kids can't swallow pills, when they don't have the oral coordination yet, what are the options in terms of giving them um, medicines or supplements? Yeah, so um, um, of course when kids can't swallow tablets or capsules, we need to, we usually use an oral liquid, uh, but sometimes even when kids can swallow tablets and capsules, we have to use an oral liquid because they need a, a dose that's too small to get with the tab. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, usually we're going to, to something like an oral liquid um, which uh, in lots of cases um, works really well, but in lots of cases it, it won't work. Um, one of the, I guess, the more common issues with that, that that we immediately think about is palatability. So sometimes they taste okay. Actually, usually paracetamol doesn't taste too bad, but um, everyone has their own taste, I guess. Um, but lots of oral liquids um, really don't taste great. And so that's kind of the common one that, that parents think about. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, oral liquids sometimes will have additives or things in them that we don't necessarily want to give our kids. Um, alcohol, for instance, is used in some oral liquids, certain coloring agents, preservatives that maybe we'd mm-hmm. like to avoid if we can. Um, and then sometimes, this is probably the, one of the bigger issues in my mind, is that there just isn't an oral liquid. The, the drug manufacturers um, either can't or won't um, research a, a, an oral liquid preparation 
And so usually a pharmacist will have to do some sort of manipulation of that, uh, the oral solid, if it comes as a tablet or a capsule, and make that into an oral liquid in some way. And we call that compounding usually. Um, but of course, anytime you're manipulating a drug product, you could make mistakes. Um, sometimes one pharmacy will use one concentration, another pharmacy makes it slightly differently and it's a different concentration and that can be confusing for parents and lead to errors. Hmm. Um, and in most jurisdictions, um, pharmacies that do that kind of um, manipulation or compounding have to have a special uh, license and meet certain requirements. And so sometimes it's hard for families even to find a pharmacy that will, will do that for them. So, um, but after all of that, once you find an oral liquid, um, then often the parents will have to measure that. And the measurement of oral liquids can be um, fraught with errors. Um, maybe the family isn't familiar with the use of oral syringes and they're using a tablespoon, but, but we all know tablespoons are not all the same tablespoon. Mm -hmm. um, and so that can also lead to problems with oral liquid. So even if the kid likes the taste of it and you found a liquid, then you could make a mistake measuring it. So, um, well, they are probably the most common solution we use in this scenario where children can't swallow tabs and caplets. Um, they're not perfect either. I think that's such a good point. Um, all of the issues that you raise are things that we typically don't even think about. Um, we're grateful to have pharmacists we work with to think about these issues and to help find alternatives. I wonder if you can go into a little bit more detail around um, compounding pharmacies. And um, in the article you published for BMJ, you talk about a particular patient example where the family was needing to drive many hours every week just to get access to a specially compounded medicine. Can you talk about some of the specific issues with compounding and stability? Yeah, good. Thanks for reminding me about that. So, um, when, when a, a drug manufacturer decides to make an oral liquid, they will undergo a lot of testing to make sure that that product um, will, the drug remains stable in, the, in the, the liquid. So whether it's a solution or a suspension, they'll make sure that that drug molecule remains stable. Um, but when, we, uh, when community pharmacies are doing uh, compounding, they're usually using a recipe maybe that was made up by... Um, probably not a big drug manufacturer, maybe just a local researcher at a university. Mm. And they don't have quite the resources to do the, the necessary stability testing. And so sometimes, and not infrequently, these compounded agents um, will say, we only know that that drug is stable for seven days. And so the drug will get a seven day expiry mm. date. And so um, obviously parents, unless you live across the street with, from the pharmacy, um, coming in for a refill every seven days is, um, an issue and Bonnie tells a great story about uh, a patient who lived in a rather remote area and had to do um, almost weekly drives you know two to three hour drive to the pharmacy that could compound this particular medication for their child so we never like to hear stories like that because having a sick child is rough enough and then mm -hmm. having to drive to a community pharmacy three hours there three hours back once a week um, not only is you know boring and time consuming, but it can be financially challenging as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't imagine um, having to drive for several hours just to get the medicine. Especially in the Canadian winter. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, I had a patient as well in Phnom Penh, and we had a long process of talking about the medication administration with the mom because she could only access tablets that she needed to grind. And in the beginning, she was grinding up the tablets, mixing it with some normal saline. And while the child was accepting the medicine, we were realizing that she would grind a tablet and leave it for the whole day so that by the nighttime dose, um, this solution would have lacked stability and potentially wasn't as active. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about some of these medication errors and what parents can do um, to and, and what their um, doctors can do to help them with respect to um, overcoming medication errors in terms of the measurements. I think when a physician is prescribing a medication um, at a dose that won't work with the usual oral solids or for a child who can't swallow um, oral solids yet, um, if they're not familiar with, with the use of that agent in those scenarios, I think they should feel comfortable phoning um, a pharmacy or pharmacist mm. and, and having a conversation with them about what's available. Um, having said that, you know, it's, it's only fair to say that community pharmacists mostly treat adults, and so they're not always going to be familiar with the options for pediatric patients. So um, if, that, if that's a, the scenario, um, sometimes pharmacists working at a pediatric hospital, if there's one nearby, can have some, some thoughts to add on that. But um, having said that, um, if we're using an oral liquid and we're worried about palatability, uh, there's lots of little tips and tricks that families can try. Uh, some of the ones that I think of off the top of my head um, are giving the child like a frozen treat right before mm -hmm. they take the medication. Um, and then often that will numb their mouth uh, just enough so that they don't taste it so much. It's also a bit of an incentive um, for kids that really like frozen treats. Mm -hmm. uh, likewise, um, there's uh, some kids might prefer to have a bit of a chaser. So you give their medicine and then they get some tasty treat mm -hmm. uh, afterwards, um, you know, syrup or jam. Some kids with more discerning tastes might like uh, blue cheese or something that's really strong and kind of gets rid of, I know that's probably my, my weird children. Um, <laughs> um, what's the other thing I was going to mention? Uh, if there's older kids, um, you know, sort of maybe in that five or six, seven range where, where they're just sort of learning and they want to have control, um, you know, getting children to decide, okay, do you want to take it out of the oral syringe or would you rather me measure it and put it into this cool alligator spoon mm -hmm. or, um, you know, do you want to take it before your lunch or after at least giving them a bit of control over it? Sometimes that can help. Um, I guess another classic thing is, is crushing a tablet um, mm -hmm. or emptying a capsule. Now, that only works if you can measure the dose in a tablet or a part tablet or mm -hmm. capsule. Uh, but when that happens, um, you can mix it in, you know, whatever the kid likes, jam, uh, like, a, like a chocolatey spread, anything that they really, really love. Uh, the caveat I'll give with that is like your patient you were talking about, um, don't do that too far ahead. Um, we certainly don't know if a drug is stable mm -hmm. in peanut butter, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let alone saline. So um, uh -huh. I always just remind parents, just do that just ahead of time um, so that we don't have to worry about stability. And likewise, um, don't put it in, you know, a full glass of milk or a full glass of juice. Just put it in a small amount so that um, you can be sure the child can drink all of it or eat all of it and not miss any of their dose. 
That is so helpful. That's so helpful. Um, my patient told me that her the solution she finally figured out to give her daughter paracetamol was um, buying her one of those sweetened yogurt smoothies, um, which came in the small bottle because she'd never had them before. And so she didn't know what the taste was. So then when she sprinkled um, these little granules, acetaminophen granules, um, on the smoothie, it was okay on the yogurt, but she had tried mixing it into one of her favorite drinks and her daughter could immediately tell the difference in the taste and then the whole thing was rejected. <laughs> yeah, it's a, and some of the tastes can be fairly pervasive um, and they, they have an aftertaste. I can't deny that. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Um, Bonnie, I'd like to turn to you now to ask if you could describe some of the research that that you have done and that others have done on learning to swallow pills. And I take your point, Dion, that even when um, children can swallow pills, there may be a number of challenges with those um, oral medicines, pills or capsules or tablets. Um, but Bonnie, can you share with us what, what is some of the research that's been done and what possible approaches have been tried? Sure. Well, keep in mind that um, a lot of parents figure out a lot of things that, that the onset or, or other things. Uh, shaping is a perfect example where um, if a child really is trying to swallow a pill, um, if you start out with very small things, maybe even substitute candies and build up to larger sizes, parents are advised about that by their pediatrician, perhaps. And I think a lot of children probably succeed. And we have no way of determining that because they mm -hmm. never come into the uh, any, any kind of, you know, more serious program or research or whatever. Of course. Um, but but it's interesting. What happened to me was when I, I mean, if, if someone had asked me, don't you know, you know, like, I don't know, 20 years ago, don't you know some kids can't swallow pills? I think I would have said, oh, no, everybody can swallow pills. They're just being oppositional. I mean, I think I would have assumed they just weren't cooperative. They didn't want to take it or whatever. And so for me, it was a bit of a breakthrough moment when I was interviewing a a mother and son to be in a study. And it, again, it was large capsules is really what mm. I've worked with most because that's what holds minerals and vitamins. And that's what I've studied with respect to brain or me mental health. Mm -hmm. And this little boy of about nine years old sat there and kept putting the capsule in his mouth <clears throat> and then it would come out of his mouth. And little, quiet, very quietly, tears started coming down his cheeks as he kept putting it in and it would come back out. Aww. And his mother was very appropriate, encouraging him, but not pressuring or anything. There was, I mean, it should have worked, right? And I thought, what? How <laughs> this work? So I asked one of my students to look into the literature at that time and find out how do you help a child who can't swallow pills? And I was kind of shocked when I looked at the literature. For example, someone literally published uh, a case where it took 57 hours sessions with professionals to shape and encourage this and positively reinforce a child to swallow a pill. I think they, I mean, that's almost browbeating. And to call that a success, I mean, if that's what we had to go through, then it's completely impossible for, in terms of clinical resources, to provide that many hours of, of intervention for a child. 
the same student, Roberta Steiger is her name, um, also looked at some of the um, endoscopic research and she could find only one that was relevant, but she found <clears throat> that when these adults in this particular study swallowed with their head to the side, the upper esophageal sphincter stayed open a few milliseconds longer and opened a little bit wider. And it was statistically meaningful, and we basically we wondered if it was clinically meaningful. Could we use that to teach people to swallow pills? And from that, to make a long story short, we did four studies. But you know, I'd love to tell you about what we did before we did the four studies because it's a funny story. So that's okay. I, I charged ahead, asked one of my students to set up a study. We would just um, put volunteer research assistants sitting in the lobby of Children's Hospital and asked people to come over and try swallowing empty capsules, okay, uh, in different head positions and record how they felt about it. And I don't, I, we never even published this data. What happened was the research assistants started coming back to me and saying, everybody hates it. Nobody wants to, I mean, everybody wants to just swallow with their pills, you know, swallow the pills with their heads forward. And, and we don't know, this isn't going to be analyzable. You're not going to be able to publish it. And this is useless. So then I went and I watched them. And um, there is a, a very interesting phenomenon in psychophysics research that you should use practiced subjects because if there is novel stimuli, mm. they don't react normally to it. They have to be habituated to it. And I sat there and I watched for a day or two and thought that's what's happening here. It's so shocking. And this is really important because we use this information then in our training program. It's so shocking the first time to swallow with your head to the side or, or down or whatever that everybody hated it. Mm. And so... Then when we set up our, what turned out to be four studies, um, first starting with people, adults who could swallow pills and then children who could swallow pills, and then moving on to clinical samples, we always required that they work with small candies first and that they practice for two weeks before mm -hmm. they could tra try transferring it to their medication. So the two weeks of habituation to off-center swallowing, I think, was really important. And so what we ended up with was a training video, which is on the internet and cited in our article, mm -hmm. which is very child-oriented, although you should see the, the articles, I, the letters that I get from, you know, 54-year-old lawyers <laughs> and 45-year-old ministers who say, I've never been able to swallow pills, and now I can do it. And they tried off-center swallowing. Mm -hmm. So what we t teach in a nutshell is to practice with something like a hard candy with your head up, down, left, right, and center. And do that for two weeks. And it's amazing how many people do well with it. And one of the points that you made to me was that um, the training doesn't necessarily take two weeks, right? But so is there a sense like, for example, if I have a child and we need to get started on a medicine, um, I understand, well, what, what I think is that it could take up to two weeks or, or what do you think in terms of average time that it might take my child to learn how to swallow using this program? So um, I need to say something about anxiety. 
a lot of the kids who we were seeing had had uh, the feelings of choking and mm -hmm. were scared and anxious. And we weren't doing, this is why another kind of research you'll find is stress management, teaching people to relax and mm -hmm. breathe deeply, et cetera. And so I think that we took the pressure off of them by telling them, you're not even going to be allowed to do anything except swallow candy for two weeks. Right. You know, your homework is to swallow candy. But we did have several children spontaneously after, I mean, one child was sitting in the practice room for the demonstration, tried it and said, oh my gosh, I get it. I get it. I can do this. She never needed to do anything more. Mm -hmm. um, we had one young girl I needed to take medication every day. By about the third day of practice, she was begging her mother, please let me do this with my real medicine. Wow. Uh, so they called me to ask permission. But there are a lot of people who need the two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I'm afraid I can't give you an average. <laughs> no, but that's helpful. Um, and, and thanks for bringing up this a really important point around anxiety. Um, and Deanne, I wonder if I can circle back to you working in a pediatric hospital and working with kids. How much do you see anxiety as a factor in their medicines, either um, in the inpatient wards or as an outpatient? And, and what, what would you say to parents and providers who, who um, are encountering some anxiety? Yeah, um, I will admit that I mostly work with newborns, um, which may be the, the least anxious group out there. Um, oh, but that's amazing. I, <laughs> yeah, I definitely, like the pharmacists that I work with that are on my team, they definitely work with kids. And so I, I won't comment on how often I see anxiety, but I definitely know, um, not only as a pharmacist, but as a, a mom, if you turn it into a big deal, it will just become a bigger and a bigger deal. And so I think... Um, you know, not getting worked up and staying calm and trying to make it a positive experience as possible, keeping it fun, choose your treat, choose your spoon, whatever. Um, all of those things will help because um, as we all, I would like to say we all know, but we all slowly learn through the process of, of being parents. Um, when we get worked up, our kids tend to get worked up too. I think that's such a good point. And Bonnie, I'm going to turn back to you. I wonder if you can say more about kind of stress management when it comes to swallowing um, pills or tablets or, or what else um, you've observed with respect to the impact of anxiety on um, swallowing medications and supplements. Right. Um, we, yeah, we have seen it certainly when we had one little boy who himself, he had been through some kinds of stress management training and he himself applied that and told us then that that's what he was doing. He was doing some deep breathing before he would do his practice Aww. every night. It was really kind of amazing. Um, but we also uh, do a little bit with logic. And um, even young children, if you show them the size of a Tic Tac, say, against the size of their esophagus, the diameter of their esophagus, on a, just a drawing on a piece of paper is what we used. And then ask them, sometimes we'd ask them, like, uh, what's the biggest thing you swallow, do you think? And sometimes it's so I don't chew my carrots completely or maybe a piece of hot dog or something. And, and compare the tic-tac to that. I, I don't think you can overcome the problem with that kind of rational thinking, but I think you can make them relax. And we also teach them about soft tissue. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things in the training video is where I stick my tongue in my cheek you know, and mm -hmm. stick out my cheek. 
and say, you know, that's why you can swallow pills even wider than your throat, right? Because it's soft tissue, it can expand and relax. And so we give them a lot of visuals like that. Um, but I, that one boy I thought was extremely clever to do that. And certainly parents could do that. They could also um, include some of Dion's suggestions about reward and reinforcement mm -hmm. for every practice session. So there's a lot that, that you can do as many tools to work with. Fantastic. Um, I think that's great. Um, I don't have any questions, additional questions that I've prepared, um, but if there's anything that either of you would like to expand on from the conversation, I wanna give you a moment to do that now. Um, we've covered a lot. So um, Deanne, I don't know if you have any, and it's okay if you don't, but any final words or anything you wanted to make sure we um, got in here? Um, I think I think maybe just one last thing, as I mentioned earlier, that you know physicians should feel comfortable talking to pharmacists about about options. And sometimes those options actually might be a completely different medication. So switching from um, prednisolone to dexamethasone or to prednisone to um, finding a, a slightly different liquid or a tablet size that might work for the child. Um, sometimes if you can find uh, a dosing, a medication that's dosed twice a day instead of four times a day that can cut back on the stress that would be um, associated with taking meds that they don't want. So sometimes we need to get a little bit creative um, with the agents that we're choosing as well. That is such an important point. Thank you. I do Bonnie. have one final thing. Thanks. Um, the children who succeed, and it's it was virtually all of them, uh, feel so empowered that they almost all went home and taught their siblings, their parents, their grandparents how to swallow pills. And, you know, and often it was a familial thing, and it's part of this thing about kids maybe picking up the anxiety of, of parents sometimes. But we also had some kids who said, I'm going to do my science fair project on this next year. And we also had some kids who went and taught, well, it was two of them, I guess, who went and taught their kindergarten uh, classmates. And I thought, now that is the most brilliant thing to do because it's a life skill and we should be teaching everybody in kindergarten how to swallow capsules and pills and so forth because um, you never know when you're going to need to have it done or need to take a medication or a supplement or whatever, right? I think that's also such an important point. And um, certainly working with both of you on this article, reflecting on the experiences I've had with my patients and trying to give bitter medicines to my own kids has certainly reinforced that for me. Like I need to um, start this at a time when things are calm, um, before we potentially need to be taking um, a medication that's not available in a palatable or um, commercial commercial kind of form that's readily accessible. So, um, and that I guess is is the last thing I wanted to pick up on. Um, Dion, you mentioned that part of the problem is lack of availability of a lot of these different formulations. And maybe we can end on that. Um, any thoughts on, you know, the pharmaceutical industry needing to catch up with patient needs with respect to these, um, with respect to kids taking medicines. Yeah, that's a, that's a really important point too. That um, you know they always 
I guess the term maybe therapeutic orphan um, is overused, but certainly kids and newborns um, are often taking medications that are quote unquote off label because they don't have um, enough data uh, to support their use in children. And when a, a drug manufacturer can't market a drug to children because there's not enough data, they're not going to create an, a formulation that's marketed towards children either. Um, so definitely more medication research on uh, children is needed. And, and the problem with that is that children you know, are, are uh, in general more healthy than adults. And so there's fewer patients to be included in these trials. And so things like research networks and research consortiums that deal specifically with pediatric uh, medication use and neonatal medication use um, are something that we're starting to see popping up. And that's really great to see. Um, then there's also the piece about legislation where, you know, mm -hmm. I think in the U.S. and in Europe, um, there's some legislation to incentivize manufacturers to do research on their medications in children and have formulations for them. So, yeah, there's definitely a big need for that. Um, but uh, until that, that problem's solved, I guess we've given you a couple of tricks that can get us through. That was the full interview with Dion Dershmills and Bonnie Kaplan. The education article that they referred to is available on bmj.com and includes a link to the training video that Bonnie talked about. That's it for this long breath. The gang will be back soon with another deep breath in. As always, we'd love to hear from you. If you have anything you'd like us to tackle on the podcast, get in touch via social media or by email to practice at bmj.com. <laughs>